Welcome to Mediation Station. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. Calling in from Ottawa tonight is our co-host, Brian J. Martin. You're, uh, you're there. I hear you breathing. <laughs> I need to work on that. So we, we have uh, waiting with us here, visiting Jared. tonight, is Jared, Jared Norton. And isn't it ironic it's three males doing this conversation tonight on this topic? I don't know. Yeah. It's a boys night out. What can we say? <laughs> Jared, do you, do you have something to say about that? Uh, not quite yet, but <laughs> maybe in time. We'll see. So, so you've been with us before. I have. As uh, recently as, do you recall? I want to say it was last fall. Yeah, so I think so. A little while. Yeah, right. Yeah. You busy lives, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, busy. Things are good. And mm-hmm. I'm certainly happy to be back. I'm excited about this topic. Absolutely. We've, uh, you know, I threw it out to you and saying, you know, let's do something different, of course, yep. because we don't want to say do the same old, same old. And also, it's got to be provocative because I always want to challenge the status quo and the tr- tr- traditional mindset and bring some edge to and bring to light the same kinds of things that are out there are things that people don't generally talk about per se mm-hmm. but you know are happening so thus we're here with this topic tonight before we get into that how about you share a little bit uh, update about your professional background um yeah so i am a clinical social worker in toronto um i am primarily focused in the field of um, divorce and separation so i work with families um, as an, a mediator as a parenting coordinator as an assessor um, and you know typically those families are experiencing high conflict there's a lot of um, sort of risk factors for kids um, and that's that's my focus so you know very passionate about my work and uh, as i said you know happy to be here and talk about these issues how do people determine their interest in each other as part of considering to form a relationship um i got a better one how do people hook up you can you can reframe it that's good thank you um well i'll, I'll try to answer both of those i mean it, it's a bit of a complicated question i mean i think people go through a number of of sort of decisions they they look at a number of different things when they're deciding you know, are they interested in this person? I mean, obviously, they look at compatibility and shared interests. They look at shared values. I think people look for people they feel secure with, whether it's an emotional security sometimes. You know, is there a financial security there? Um, But in general, I think everything gets reduced down to, hey, do I really like this person? Um, Do I see a future with this person? Um, You know, certainly in terms of intimate partner relationships and more long-term relationships, um, they tend to see, you know, or ask themselves, do I see a a long-term future with this person? In terms of hookups, um, you know, people look for different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically, it may be a bit more of a short-term gain that they're looking for or a short-term experience. Um, But again, you know, they they tend to look for the things, you know, is this person going to meet my needs? Am I going to be happy in this? Um, You know, there are some situations where I think um, things work behind the scenes there's a lot of unconscious thought and subconscious thought processes that go into determining do we like someone are we interested in someone and you know sometimes that works against us there's some psychodynamic things at play and you, you often hear people say well i'm always interested in the wrong type of person um, so sometimes these types of things you know aren't always good and we're interested in, in sort of some things that might be bad for us you know and, and as part of our profession too we focus a lot on communication you know not only the spoken word it's the nonverbal communication so could, might we when we uh, meet somebody 
or are introduced in some way say something one way, like verbally, yet we might be communicating something non-verbally. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so much of the time, the way in which we communicate is, is out of the realm of, of what we actually see. And, you know, most of our communication is nonverbal. So we give off cues, you mm-hmm. know, and it's very hard to hide. Right. So, you know, people who are very skilled at reading those cues can pick up on it um, because they see things that we don't even realize that we're we're giving off. Right. Because we may be doing it, a communicating, quote, inadvertently. Mm-hmm. It's not always like at the conscious level. Well, the, the other reason I was thinking about it, that it was a bit cheeky, to be fair, Jared, was we sometimes get ourselves into trouble by, by approaching a potential relationship, not realizing that the two parties are on different levels. So you may have one thinking relationship and other thinking hooking up. Um, and sometimes when we, the nonverbal is, uh, is setting off a, a different conversation between, uh, between two people. Oh, yeah. I mean, ab- absolutely. Most people, I think, when they meet someone for the first time, very rarely are they exactly on the same page uh, in terms of the degree of their interest. Um, so some people may be interested in, in you know, a, a short-term relationship. Other people may be interested in a long-term relationship. We're just entirely different things in general. And of course, that throws another complication into to meeting someone and establishing a relationship of any kind. Yeah, and I would say hookup is another form of relationship. Absolutely. It is a type of relationship, yeah. Yeah. What was your reason for uh, throwing out that particular word, Mr. Bryan? Um, well, if we're going to be a bit, uh, if we're going to be out there uh, a little bit, just the, the sense that when we, relationship is one word that can be um, across a, a fairly wide breadth in terms of how people interact. So I just deliberately picked one version of it that... It's, it's because it reminds me that you hear a, a word or a phrase, invariably you'll have your meaning, and it may not necessarily be the same meaning as someone else. People, so for instance, if someone says hookup, it, it immediately sounds casual to many people, but don't make the mistake of thinking it's the same thing for everyone. And it's something I've always been fascinated with, with communication, this interpretation, how people understand the meaning of words as they hear them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that is important to note that when we say certain words, that not everybody is going to connect with it in the same way to have no. the same understanding. No. Right. And that's certainly gotten us. It's one of the things I've found fascinating over the years, Greg, is that that inevitably has gotten many of us into trouble in terms of our relationships, our communication, and in many cases our potential conflicts in that we're... It's, it's a very simple way for us not to be on the same page because we have a different meaning for a word or phrase or, or, or some sort of feeling or, or sentiment. Yeah, and people usually project their meaning of it onto others when that might not be the intention or the purpose no. of what the, you know, the speaker was intending. We're trying to dissect, obviously, uh, what we mean by relationships and connecting and what aspect of physical attraction contributes to uh, all of what we're talking about? Well, 
I think that physical attraction is obviously a big part of forming and maintaining intimate relationships, and, and certainly in the context of infidelity, it's a it's a big thing. Um, you know, people often feel that immediate spark, that you know, something on a physiological level that uh, attracts them to someone, and that really drives them. Um, you know, I think some people might call that lust, um, that sort of physical desire that they feel uh, for another person. Often, that is a, a sort of sexual nature. Um, I think there's also a, a very sort of strong psychological or cognitive element to that sort of physical attraction as well. Um, you know, people project sort of ideas and fantasy onto people, and they become to see people um, physically in, in different ways, things that might not reflect the reality of how they actually look. Um, you know, this also works against people, and often what you see in relationships as they, as they progress and as they get, get older and get longer, um, you know, where people experience sort of negative experiences and develop negative thought processes about their current partners, that actually changes the way in which they look at people. So if they have a negative thought, they come to actually see people as physically less attractive. And I think that happens in relationships. People begin to be turned off by their partners, even though you know fundamentally nothing has actually changed physically. Um, and that, that, of course, is a huge, huge problem. And then people start to see other people as more attractive. Um, so that, you know, that physical attraction, that cognitive sort of that thought process behind that is a huge process in, in infidelity in relationships. Well, don't they say that the uh, biggest sex organ is the mind? Yeah, I, I do believe that. I mean, there's so much um, behind, you know, intimacy and, and sort of s- sexuality that is derived in the mind. And certainly attraction is, is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there, Jared, is there any way to know if these type of physical attractions turn into sexual involvement? Um, you know, I don't know if, if those types of things can be predicted. Um, I, I think that there's a number of sort of steps or conditions that usually have to be met um, for, you know, physical attraction to result in into physical intimacy. Um, I mean, obviously, people are attracted to other people you know, all the time, whether it's, you know, in their, their sort of daily life, in the workplace, wherever. Um, and that doesn't always just sort of translate into sexual intimacy. Um, you know, there needs to be a right sort of set of circumstances. Um, of course, primary, you know, the primary, I think, circumstance is that there's a mutual attraction and a mutual desire, but there's also a context to it. There's, you know, other sort of things in around time and place and other relational factors. And of course, there's boundaries. You know, I think if you're in a social environment, there's less rules to navigate and you can be a different person um, and sort of experience a relationship differently. If you're in the workplace, there's other boundaries there that might sort of um, prevent you from sort of that attraction from manifesting and, and becoming um, a sort of physical intimacy. Um, so again, there's so many factors which go into it, difficult to protect. Yeah, we have to control ourselves in some form mm-hmm. at all times. I mean, whether it's about being attracted to somebody or just any kind of certain behaviors that may not be acceptable to others. The world is not comprised only of ourselves. It's of others. So we have to be mindful of that and the settings in which we interact with people. Though sometimes when you have that private nature to uh, an opportunity or a situation that, uh, I'll say, turns into a possible opportunity, Mm -hmm. how far do people tend to take advantage of that opportunity and make it a reality. Yeah, I mean, it, 
so much of it is is opportunity as well. And of course, there are there are sort of individual personality characteristics. I mean, even in, even when presented with opportunity, um, you know, many people just they control themselves, um, and that's just part of it. And a lot of people don't necessarily actively think to control themselves. It's just something they do. They they follow rules. There's expectations in relationships, um, and there's expectations and boundaries in, in you know, in society and the workplace. Um, so those things, you know, in eff- they, they control us. They they keep us from from acting out on our our impulses. Yeah, we're not. Um, well, I mean, that's what distinguishes us as quote this level of uh, animal mm-hmm. that we are more aware of ourselves relative to just going on instinct and just acting on that so Brian, you can do uh, the next one next two yeah um jared what is meant by infidelity in a relationship the way i i sort of see infidelity um i see it as a as a trespass of sorts a, a trespass against um, the established and agreed upon rules and expectations of the relationship specifically about intimacy both emotional and physical or sexual um so you know infidelity can be a physical act such as a extramarital affair in a, in a traditional monogamous relationship or it can also be a violation of the agreed upon rules or sort of the you know the the norms of a open or polyamorous relationship anything that sort of you know compromises what the, the sort of primary dyad is agreed upon. It can also be emotional, so it's not just physical. Um, you know, you often hear of emotional affairs, people crossing those boundaries. And to me, that's where people then sort of disinvest from the primary relationship, and they've now invested in something new. And they've done that, um, you know, without sort of the, the approval or, or knowingness of their, their partner. And then the original sort of dyadic relationship suffers. Um, so it's, it can be any number of things. Wouldn't it be something that it's a symptom of something else that's not happening somewhere else? Possibly. I'm not going to say all the time, of course. But Yeah, I, I think it, it can be a symptom of something. Um, I mean, there's never any sort of black and white answers to any any of these mm-hmm. these topics. Um, I think often it is a needs based thing. Um, there's things that don't happen in, in relationships, um, and people find things elsewhere. Um, so it is. I think it is often a pursuit of something different, of something else. Um, you know, and, and whatever that is, that's down to the individual person, and, and whatever they need. So what can happen when a person is in a relationship and ends up being physically attracted to another person and they are also friends together? Well, that, that typically becomes pretty complicated, um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's often a challenge for a lot of people. Um, I, I think it's probably quite common for people, um, and I, I say that because, you know, people don't just turn their attraction button off um, or their sexual selves off when they enter into a committed relationship. Um, you know, I think as we were sort of talking about these these sort of feelings, they, they find ways to come out, so they reveal themselves, and people do. I mean, whether it's sort 
of flirting or in their language and their behavior, that type of attraction finds its way out and you express that to people. And of course, you know, with friends and in the workplace, it can become very difficult and it can become very awkward. Um, again, there are sort of rules that people have to navigate. You know, with friends, of course, um, you know, if you are in a committed relationship and you start developing that attraction to someone, um, you've got a lot to lose, not only in terms of your primary relationship and you start potentially feeling guilt and withdrawing and all of that, but if you express that attraction and it goes sort of unreciprocated or it's rejected um, or eventually if something does happen and that attraction um, translates into physical intimacy, if that relationship gets lost, you've also now lost a friendship relationship. So, you know, there's all sorts of confusion and, you know, unpredictability and, and problems that could result from it. So it's a very difficult situation that people often find themselves in. There, there are great risks involved. I, I, I know for myself, I've said a few times cheekily that I'm, I'm married, not dead, in terms of appreciating the physical and sometimes more the attraction of another person. But then it's the, as we've said, it's what we've established in our relationships. Part of it's the risk, but it's also at the very essence the idea that, no, this is who I am, this is who I'm committed to, and I'm at peace with that, not looking at the grass as greener. I can appreciate beauty as I see it in others, but that's it. I'm just going, that. that's where it, where it ends, whereas for others it may not be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens, though, if someone else, let's just say you're not, but someone else is attracted to you, how do you deal with that if um, that relationship, and as friends per se, is important to you, yet you don't want to offend somebody from hmm, saying no, maybe? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I, I think you... Those are the types of situations where you need very good communicating and, and excellent communication skills. You need to have really good boundaries. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, it is incredibly flattering to know that someone is interested in you, um, even if you're in a committed relationship. If someone gives you positive attention, um, you know, I think for a lot of people, it makes them feel good. So you, you have to sort of manage yourself um, because, again, y- your behavior itself the way in which you communicate that back, um, you reveal yourself. So whether it's with a smile or whatever, um, there could often be temptations to sort of buy into that or, or follow up on that because it, it can be a very rewarding experience to know that someone is interested in you. Um, so, you know, the challenge is, of course, expressing that, you know, you, these are my boundaries, this is what I'm comfortable with, um, and then, you know, explaining that you're in a committed relationship. Yeah, and it works on the other way, too. If someone... Uh, you're interested potential or you you have this relationship whatever it is it's casual superficial in some form then you identify or seem to identify certain behaviors or comments coming from the other person hmm does that mean more than what I thought it did before and now it's like hmm, are they interested in me hmm mm-hmm. all that kind of thought goes within your own headspace and then you don't know if that's actually true because people can be their own way and be friendly and um, passionate in ways without needing to be, quote, sexually or physically attracted mm-hmm. to you? Pers- um, so, Jared, how is infidelity generally viewed within society? Well, 
I mean, I, I think it's generally frowned upon um, and seen as something that's pretty unacceptable, uh, certainly in, in North American society. Um, you know, but despite that, I think society is fascinated by it. Um, it's certainly a part of culture. It's a part of daily life. Um, if you look at the statistics, it's something that happens quite frequently. Um, it's something that's certainly talked about in almost every circle of society. And, you know, it's over time, it's been the domain of religion and politics and, and law, and it's in our entertainment, it's in our literature, it's the source of humor. Um, so it's everywhere. Um, and I think to that effect, it's, it's kind of something that's been normalized. And it's it's something that society is quite ambivalent about, even though there's this sort of strong negative sentiment about it, and everyone says, oh, that's, that's absolutely awful. Um, I think at the same time, people also find it enticing and exciting. So it, it sends these mixed messages. Um, and it's, you know, it, as I said, it's something that's it's everywhere. Yeah, and, and, you know, the conversation about this kind of thing is coming to the fore a little more often. There's, you know, we won't name websites, but there's websites that deal with having uh, relationships outside of other relationships, uh, primary ones. And there's also open relationships. There's plural relationships. It's a norm in other cultures. Western society is, for the most part, it's uh, uh, not something that's a norm. Yet, why is it okay in other cultures, yet it seems here it's not like who, who's to say we're wrong and they're right and they're right, whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that probably goes back to the history of North American society in general. Um, it, it is a very sort of puritanistic kind of culture, and what makes it so interesting is, you know, if you certainly look at sex and sexuality in the United States, um, you know, and if you look at sort of their adult industry. Um, you have a, a very hypersexualized country, and certainly North America and our society is very hypersexualized. Um, but yet, when it comes to sex and sexuality and relationships, there's still this huge taboo. And, you know, there's, you still have these issues of infidelity, um, which, you know, I think, again, when you talk about sort of needs and expression, all this stuff, something's not lining up. Um, and that's this, the sort of fascinating thing about it is that, and why I think, you know, people hate it and fear it and, and talk terribly about these types of things. But then at the same time, they're, they're so intrigued by it, right? And it happens all the time. It's almost as if, as a result of Western society, and you know, for all means, you know, correct me if I'm mistaken, you look at the different cultures that traded North America in the first place, those that came here, um, religious backgrounds and the like, it's, it's not quite an elephant in the corner, but it's still a pretty big animal that we've not necessarily looked at, regarded, and said, this is good, this is bad, here's why and let's bring it to the fore and, and, and at least be able to say, this is why infidelity doesn't work, as opposed to just saying, no. Well, I think if we're still having this, if we are having this conversation, I think it's still a consideration that it's, it's a possibility for some people. Yes. And it's an actuality that it is happening. It's, re, it's reality. Hmm. And to what extent and will it become more prominent? I, I don't know. I mean, it's if you look at the statistics now, I mean, 
they vary. I mean, anywhere, I think, from, you know, 20% of, of relationships will experience it. Some of them are up, you know, depending on who does the study, 50, 60, 70% uh, of some type of infidelity, whether it's physical or emotional. Um, you know, and when you look at those numbers, it's kind of staggering um, to realize that that many, you know, relationships will experience that, as I would call it, that type of trespass. Um, you know, it's, I think it speaks to where people are at. Um, you know, I, the, it's, it's a big conversation as to why I think relationships are changing um, and why people are approaching intimate relationships differently now than they have at maybe other periods um, and even very recent periods in our society. So in terms of the number getting bigger, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's I don't know how much bigger it could possibly get if you're already at, say, 50% of relationships. I mean, where does that go? Do, I mean, do you get to the place where it's, it's just sort of the, the recognized norm in 70, 80, 90%? I don't know. It's, it's an unknown, obviously, uh, like uh, most things in life, I believe. You know, when, when we have or start to think we're going to have a relationship, we don't get relationship training, per se. Go somewhere and get that. Like... How can the public be informed and educated about having a relationship? Well, I mean, I, again, I, I think a lot of it comes back down to, um, you know, the messages you receive early on about, you know, what is a relationship norm, how you treat people. Um, you know, again, when you enter into a relationship, I see it very much as a sort of a negotiation where you establish rules um, and you establish expectations. And those are the types of things that aren't communicated often up front in terms of relationships, certainly intimate partner relationships. No one ever sits down um, in that sort of, you know, amazing first honeymoon stage, everything's going great. You're not talking about expectations and rules. I think, as I said, there's a lot of projection that goes on. I think you project onto the other person because you're in love or lust or whatever it is, that they must believe a lot of the same stuff that you do. And you don't, you don't talk about them. Um, and over time, of course, that, you know, that, that creates challenges. I think, you know, to me, the, the foundation of any really healthy, solid relationship is really knowing yourself, being honest with yourself, being able to communicate who you are to someone um, so that they know what that is and what the expectations are going into it. And, you know, again, as, as that sort of that dyadic relationship forms, um, that you have those, those talks, um, you know, that obviously that can be done in, in sort of daily life or in counseling. And certainly there's a lot of information out there on relationships and, and communication, healthy relationship patterns. Um, so I think it's just a question of constantly checking in and learning and, you know, figuring out how to communicate your needs and express yourself in, in terms of your intimate relationship. And I was just, the question came to mind, like, are there certain personality traits or types that are more prone to infidelity? or not? <laughs> um, I think there probably are. Um, I think there are certain types of people. Um, and again, if you look at the, if you look at the reasons why um, people cheat, um, why people engage in extramarital affairs, I mean, there's so many different reasons. I, I do think that there are, you know, there's probably a few people in that category with a certain types, a certain type of personality, um, you know, where it's less about needs per se as it just is you know that's what they do um and i think again going back i think there's a, a very dynamic undertone to that and i think there's reasons why um 
personality characteristics develop and personality patterns develop. Um, and certainly in terms of patterns of intimate partner relationships and how people view, um, you know, their responsibilities to their intimate partners. And, you know, there's obviously a, a bit of a there's power and control elements. There's, you know, certain personalities who use people and, and whatnot. Um, so absolutely, there are people with personality characteristics that just do that. Yeah, and then we don't uh, provide a uh, survey or questionnaire when we're starting out a relationship in some form to uh, try to unearth or bring to light uh, the potentials. No, I mean, they. I think they often say, and, and certainly I, I believe this, that you, you know, usually don't really get to know someone until about two years into your relationship. Um, again, there are things that have to happen in your relationship before you actually see who this person really is. You have to have experiences. You have to experience crisis and chaos and all those things to see how people react. Um, and, you know, people are very good at hiding their true selves for a fair amount of time. Um, so, you know, I... I you know, questionnaire sounds actually pretty good. You know, you, it's it's not realistic, but you do want to find out who this person is. You know, yeah, of, of course, how transparent or honest would someone be, or truthful would someone be with some of the mm -hmm. questions in terms of their responses to them? <laughs> right? Yeah, well, it would be. <laughs> that, that's a, that's part of the point of what. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you want us to be so honest at the beginning of the relationship? Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that would be excellent. Um, it's a bit of a novel concept, though, you know, <laughs> because people embellish, right? And people want to look positive, and they want to say the best things about them, right? You know, I mean, honesty is is a hard thing to. I think it's hard to be honest up front sometimes. Or someone might just say, "I I just don't know," which in a way is an honest possible response. Mm. But then if, but it's, a, it's one of the, it's the essence of, hum, of human interaction, though, is that you need to bring as much honesty into the relationship as possible so that we're forever terrified of, of somebody finding out about our real sense. And, and if we have been honest with ourselves about our, our frailties, bringing those to the table for fear of chasing them away. But at the same time, if you don't at some point, hopefully within those two years, you're almost guaranteed to be setting yourself up for some measure of heartache down the road. Absolutely. I think honesty is, is absolutely key to, to any relationship, and I think authenticity is. And I think in order for you to be authentic in your relationship, you have to be honest, not only in terms of honest with yourself, but with, with your partner. And, of course, one of the big... I think one of the b big things that happens which leads to infidelity is if a partner feels that they can no longer be authentic, where they can't be authentic in a relationship, where there are so many sort of restrictions, where you aren't getting your needs met, where you can't do all the things that you want to do. Uh, and of course, as we talked about, when those things don't happen, you have to find your needs and have them met elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Go with number 10 there. You're setting yourself up. Yes, I was going to say, what positive contribution does infidelity have on a healthy relationship? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it would have a positive impact. Um, you know, I, I struggle with the word healthy in terms of relationships because there's often healthy elements and unhealthy elements in, in any relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I do think if, if we look at a, a, what we might consider a truly healthy relationship, you probably wouldn't have infidelity. Uh, and the reason I say that is because you wouldn't have that trespass. You would have negotiated rules and expectations which both parties can meet. 
that both parties are comfortable with and can live with, uh, which ultimately don't, you know, have don't you don't have someone committing those types of, of trespasses and those those breakings of those shared rules and expectations. I mean, you do hear, I think, in, in some situations, and certainly I've heard in certain contexts that you know there have been healthy relationships where infidelity has occurred um, and you know it hasn't created those types of of problems um, i you know i've also heard from people that sometimes sometimes infidelity has saved relationships or saved failing marriages uh, for a variety of reasons i you know I think that's probably a rare situation. I don't think that's the norm. Um, but some people, certainly in, in, my, in my clinical practice, I've heard that, um, you know, where they say, you know, this happened years ago and it changed the way in which I approached my relationship and it made my relationship stronger. I mean, granted, those types of things didn't come out in the dialogue with their primary partner. Um, but, you know, certainly from an individual perspective, they were able to engage in their relationship differently. Do you think this, it's the three of us as males tonight having this conversation? Do you think it would take a different course or path if one of, of us was a female? Are we taking a certain direction because we're all males here? I Just know. throwing it out there. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there. I think if you... If you look at some of the literature, um, depending on who writes it, it, it is approached differently. I think it is framed differently. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, Greg. That's good. We're just, you know, we're not here to always, you know, it's not to necessarily give answers. It's to raise questions so that people can sort of challenge some of their everyday notions and traditions of how they practice and believe things. and maybe you know reflect and maybe do something differently and we're not here to deliberately stump our guests either no that's yeah right it's a conversation amongst all of us so what what are some of the challenges people go through when one of the partners in a relationship gets sexually involved with someone outside of that relationship well, I, I mean, I think the biggest sort of challenge up front is, is dealing with that sort of emotional roller coaster. Um, you know, when confronted with infidelity, you know, there's a lot of jealousy, there's a lot of fear, there's anger, there's sadness. Um, you're often dealing with these feelings of betrayal and inadequacy. There's a sense of loss. Um, there's a you know overwhelming uncertainty uh, and isolation involved in that. Um, so just it's it's a, this sort of tidal wave of all these emotions, uh, and I think dealing with that right up front is is one of the biggest challenges. Then there's the other sort of relational challenges. The, the decision: Do I reinvest in my relationship? How do I how do I deal with this? Um, is this worth saving? Do we rebuild? How do you reestablish trust in those scenarios? Um, you know, and, and how do you then now reestablish rules and shared expectations that were just sort of tossed aside or or you know that were sort of trampled over in, in with the infidelity? Um, so I think I think those are the biggest challenges sort of up front when we're looking at relationships. What, um, I guess one of the things, people tend to be judgmental of others. How can people learn from what, that what others do is their own business? Well, I mean, I think that's, 
it's a bit of a million dollar question. I mean, if you if you figure out a way to make people less judgmental and it's an effective way, um, I think you've hit upon a, a, a really amazing thing. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, when it comes to relationships and, and sex and sexuality, it all exists on a very big spectrum. Um, you know, there's no one way of doing it. There's no right way of doing it. I mean, obviously, there is a dominant discourse in terms of, you know, what a traditional relationship should look like. And a lot of people buy into that. Um, and a lot of people find comfort in that. And they want to find themselves and see themselves as normal. Um, and, you know, I think people naturally just for whatever reason don't like difference and they tend to be judgmental about things and you know you, you see that all the time with with relationships and sex and sexuality if you fit in the sort of traditional mold everything else is wrong um, you know I, I think when it comes to judgment it is a very sort of self-serving mechanism. It, it is there to protect and buffer people um, from their own sort of inner voices, their own demons, their own critics, everything else they're wondering. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it, people often find security in being judgmental. Um, so, you know, I think the best thing you can do is continue, continue to sort of challenge those thoughts challenge those ideas and understand why you're so triggered by difference and, and so and, and others um, why other people's lifestyles aren't acceptable to you why is it your business um, and when you begin to unpack all that and explore it you you begin to see that it's more about what's happening inside of you and more about yourself than actually the other and what they're doing and what their behavior is um, so you know it takes a lot of hard work and you know most people to be honest don't sit down and do the work to to address those those problems yeah it's generally easier to make that comment or judgment on others than really explore and open up our own our own selves to ourselves to question whether we're happy or connected or doing mm. what we want to do and the easier tendency is to just project onto others a lot of things that maybe we're questioning ourselves, but we won't just go there. And, you know, when, certainly when you're talking about relationships and, and sexuality and, and in this context, infidelity, these topics are, they're such big topics. They are linked to all aspects of ourself, you know, ideas of family, ideas of, of I mean, everything is wrapped up in it. We are sexual beings. We live in a sexual society. Um, relationships um, sex aside, relationships are central to our existence. So these things are connected to who we are at the deepest core. Um, so when those things are, are so powerful and so personal, that's where people get more and more judgmental because they're more fragile. So people need that security and that safety. Um, if that's threatened at all, or, or again, if, if, if they don't feel that they're normal and they need to sort of project onto others, that's where you get this such strong judgment. Well, people just, like, maybe they identify the sexuality part, the sex part, with the emotions. And the emotions are, a lot of times, irrational. Mm. And it's just hard for people to, quote, control themselves with the, when they go to their emotions. So they resort to their, whatever way they've decided to cope in terms of a, a more hard way of defining and determining and seeing life. And that's about projecting judgment onto others. Mm. So... You know, this is something to ponder. What would you like listeners to learn from our conversation tonight, Jared? 
No, I, I don't know about learn, but take away. Um, just this is, you know, these types of topics, this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, there, there's so much in and around um, just the, the topic of relationships. Um, as I said, they, we are relational people. We connect through our relationships. We define ourselves in our relationships. Um, infidelity, we, we talked about being a symptom of something. I don't necessarily think it's a symptom of a bad relationship, but it, it can be in a way. Um, it is a relational dynamic. It's something that happens. People need to look more at their relationships. They need to learn more about intimate partner relationships. They need to learn more about themselves and communication. And I think by asking these questions and exploring difficult topics, and certainly sexuality and fidelity, these are difficult topics. Um, things, as I said, are very personal to us. People need to be more comfortable exploring these topics and thinking about them because they, they affect us all. It's just people are very apprehensive to go to these, quote, sensitive topics mm -hmm. it's sensitive for people to go to sensitive topics they just may not feel the confidence to engage in a productive conversation they just don't know how to control themselves that's right so if people want to learn more about what we talked about infidelity relationships or to contact you how can they do so um, well, you know, I, I would say Google for both. Um, I, you know, my, my website is there. Um, I'm Empowerment Practices, um, so www.empowermentpractices.net. Uh, uh, I can be reached at empowermentpractices at rogers.com. Um, and just in terms of these topics or others, you know, there's so much good information on the Internet. It's a great place to start. Um, do some research and, you know, form a really strong and good opinion about it and explore. I think the first thing is to be obviously curious about it, mm -hmm. wonder what's going on, and don't just leave that curiosity within your mind. You know, take it to a level to learn, which mm -hmm. is to ask questions and explore, discover. How about you, like mister? Be willing to be uh, uh, honest with yourself, whether it's both, you know, needs, desire, expectations. Because um, if, if you, if at least at the very least you're on board with a sense of what you want and you're willing to um, provide and prepare, then you're, if you're honest with yourself, you must you have a much better chance of being honest with someone else in a relationship. Any, any closing thoughts before we uh, say goodnight for tonight, Brad Jar? No, just thank you again. That was great. It's always a pleasure to be here. We'll have to do it again on another uh, context of life and the, the lived experiences of people. Any thoughts, too, before you close out, Mr. B? Nope. Nope. It's been, it was an excellent show. Thanks, thanks again, Jared. It's uh, always great having you on board. Well, thank you, Brian. Okay. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM, Voces Latinas, the first community and ethnic station licensed in Canada. See you next week. <laughs>